Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. Welcome to the Arts Hour. I'm Turi Fluker, and thanks for joining us. In the studio with me today is Dominic Lapillo. Dominic is an associate professor at of art at Mississippi State University, and I'm delighted to have him in the studio. Thanks, Terry. It's it's a pleasure to be here. I'm really excited about it. So we, you've done a lot, um, and you, um, congratulations, you are our state fellowship winner, um, and um, we'll be receiving um, a gift um, to do your work, and uh, we are so proud of you. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, it, it was a a surprise to me. I, I know a lot of amazing and talented artists apply for that award, and um, I'm just really honored to have been selected and represent Mississippi in this way. Yes, we we are, we really are um, delighted that you were you were chosen. Um, but I want to start out by getting to know a little bit more about you. Um, tell me, where do you come from? Okay, um, good question. Um, so I'm originally from Dearborn, Michigan. Um, I was born there and lived there for about five years and uh, then moved to Youngstown, Ohio. My parents are originally from Youngstown, Ohio. Um, they moved to uh, Dearborn around Detroit um, after my dad uh, lost his job working in the steel mill in the uh, 1970s, like most young people who were working um, in the steel industry then as the uh, mills were starting to close and they were laying people off. Um, they didn't get called back for work, so um, they had to go where work was available. So he found a job close to Detroit and moved there. Um, then I was born in 1981, so my parents already lived there for a few years before I came along. And um, I think their original goal was to eventually get back to Youngstown to be closer to family. Um, that's where um, both of their families are from. So I think it was around um, 1986 or so we moved back to, and I shouldn't say we, um, they decided to move back to Youngstown. And uh, that's pretty much where I lived my whole life was in Ohio. So I consider myself to be from Ohio, but born in Michigan. Um, and then we just moved around a lot, um, you know, I think between um, Michigan to where my parents ended up buying a house in Struthers, Ohio, um, when I was in middle school or so. I, I could count maybe eight houses that I lived in. Um, so that experience of moving around a lot, I think, is something that um, can, kind of influences my, my work. Yes, I, I want to talk a lot about your process and, and what influences mm -hmm. you. But uh, Dearborn, Michigan, mm -hmm. um, is really uh, a, a place that I've visited and really liked it a lot. Um, very international yeah. uh, place. Um, yeah, I wish that I could recollect more about it. Yeah. Um, since I was so young when I lived there, I think, um, you know, I can't really recall anything outside of the suburb from where I lived. So it, it kind of had a generic sense to me um, where I felt Youngstown had a more um, unique feel to it. But that, that's interesting. I, um, 
I didn't realize it had such a strong international community. It does. It's especially um, from folks from the uh, the um, Middle East, um, and um, the National uh, Arab American Museum is there. Oh, great. Um, it's a really great cultural place um, that one could learn so mm. much about um, the Arab uh, world. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For someone that's never been to um, Ohio, uh-huh. um, uh, can you describe it for us? Sure. Um, I, I like to think of Ohio in four segments, um, the northwest, the, the northeast, the southwest, and the southeast, and each part feels completely different. Um, the northeast, where I'm from, um, Struthers, Ohio, which is really close to Youngstown, um, maybe a 10-minute drive. It's about an hour drive to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So it's in the rust belt Mm. of the country. Um, A lot of steel mills and industry. And and that has a certain kind of unique feel that I never really considered Ohio to be in the Midwest because Struthers and Youngstown felt more like Pittsburgh in the East. Um, I think the Northwest feels a little bit more like the Midwest. It feels more like Indiana, Illinois, um, flat. cornfields and things like that. The southeast um, kind of feels a little bit more like West Virginia. I went to grad school in um, Athens, Ohio, um, Ohio University, in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. And so you get the strong um, influence from West Virginia. And then the southwest feels a little bit more like Kentucky, and you get some of the influences from the south. Um, So it's really interesting. It seems diverse in terms of the landscape, in terms of the culture. but, you know, I, I feel like Youngstown specifically is what I would call home and really just has a really strong kind of working class, blue collar, um, rust belt feel that, you know, makes me feel like that is the real Ohio to me <laughs> since that's where I grew up and that's where I lived. Yeah. Yes, it's, you know, it's when I um, talk with folks that um that are from other places um, outside of, of, you know, the South. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, and we often talk about Mississippi being geographically diverse. And then it, um, folks remind me that really uh, most of our states are, mm-hmm. are that way. Right. Yeah, it's, it's really amazing because um, my, my family, um, my wife and I and my two daughters will go to Ohio about twice a year in December and then sometime in the summer and just driving through, um, you know, Mississippi and Tennessee and Kentucky and Ohio. It's just, it's amazing how the geography changes, the landscape changes, and it, it is diverse and beautiful and, you know, just flying over the country from the first time I flew from Ohio to Los Angeles and just like looking out of the window. It's just it's amazing. Um, you know, a goal of mine is just to do a cross-country trip one day. So. I love doing that. Yeah, um, yeah just, you know, uh, always trying to get a seat by the window yeah. so that when it's time to, to land and as we get closer to the, to the, uh, to the land, it just, it's just so, so beautiful mm-hmm. in the air. Yeah. Um, yeah, actually, I'll be on sabbatical in the fall, and one of my plans is to drive around and... Um, probably from here to around Connecticut or so, and just photograph along the way for my project that I've been working on. Mm-hmm. So just have more diversity in landscape represented since I've basically been shooting in Mississippi this whole time. So it'll just diversify your um, 
your portfolio. That's the plan. Yeah. 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 What role did, um, did the arts play in your early childhood? That's a great question. Um, I, I feel like my childhood was probably similar to most children. Um, I, I've, I've been thinking about that um, for a while now, like what role did art play? And I, I wish I had one of those stories that artists or photographers have where they can say, I was given a camera at an early age. Or, um, but the truth is, I, I didn't. Um, I felt like art was just always a part of me. I was always drawing or painting or pulling my mom's pots and pans out of the cupboard and making a makeshift drum set and playing on that. And it, I felt like it was just something that I was drawn to in some way, just this um, need to create. And um, my mom, um, I think, encouraged that. She loved creativity and, and loved that um, her kids wanted to be creative. And she wanted to be a writer and a poet. And she wrote a lot of poetry and wrote some um, started to write novels, but never really finished them. So I, I think her love of just creativity encouraged um, well, well, me to be creative. Um, so um, I think just that kind of general sense of creating. But, you know, my parents never took us to museums or anything. It was more sports-related. Um, I was involved in baseball. But art really wasn't talked about or we didn't really go and actively seek it out it was more just create it at home and do that and I was happy to always do that whenever I had the chance to what inspired you um and what inspires you or what I should say I should ask what inspired you then um as a as a kid in terms of um just the world you know what were some of the things that you um um thought about um, as, and were inspirational to you? Yeah. Um, so I felt like I felt like we really didn't um, go many places or do m many things, you know. We, we didn't go on these magnificent vacations where we got in the car and drove. I, but I felt like I had the freedom to get on my bike and drive around, ride around the neighborhood, go wherever I wanted to. Um, with my friends, and there is something about that kind of freedom um, that I, I think maybe a lot of kids don't have today. Like we were on our own a bit, um, and then the experience of just moving around from different houses a lot. Um, my parents rented houses a lot, so um, I think what inspired me uh, about that, or what I held with me, or found to come into my creative process now, is the um, idea of you don't know where, you know, who lived here before or what happened in this house and the history of it. Um, so I think just that not knowing the open-endedness of these different houses that we lived in, um, just having the freedom to ride around the neighborhood on my bike with my friends and just kind of explore and discover um, probably influenced me or found its way into my creative process. Welcome back to the Arts Hour. I'm Turi Fluker, and in the studio with me today is Dominic Lapillo. Dominic is 
associate professor of art at Mississippi State University and is a recipient, uh, will be a recipient of the uh, state fellowship from our South Arts um, partner in Atlanta. So we're very um, excited and, uh, and very proud of him. Yeah, thank you. You know, before we, we went on break, we were talking about um, inspiration. And, um, and during the uh, break, we were talking off air about how, you know, people are often inspired by, you know, by just their everyday existence, just, you know, kind of walking and riding bikes and, and not necessarily inspired by going to you know, museums. And, um, and I think that's really, really important that you had that experience to, um, to still feel the need to create, but not getting your inspiration from, you know, in a traditional way. Right. Just the experience of everyday life. And um, it really just uh, wanting um, just to create and make art, I think is really a some people are just born with it. It's a part of them. They don't know why. Um, but it's something that you either ignore or you go forward with it. And I remember being in high school and thinking about going to college. Like, what am I going to do? And um, I always told myself, as long as I'm doing something that's creative, then I would be happy. And I knew I didn't want to um, go into any kind of field that was medical or um, business. Like I just needed to create. And uh, that was always just a part of me from growing up. And I'm glad that my, my parents were um, supportive of it. You know, um, they didn't go to college. Um, I don't know if they really had an idea of what they wanted me to do. They just wanted me to go and get an education. And I'm really um, just fortunate that they gave me the freedom to make my own decisions and um, it led me to where I am now. So I couldn't be more grateful. That is something to be grateful for, you know, not, um, you know, forcing you to do something outside of that, um, that realm, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's um, oftentimes that happens, you know, and um, so that is something to be grateful for. The the idea of so so you are a photographer and um, and how did that idea come um, come come up? Did you always the, the, photograph? I, I didn't actually. Um, so when I mentioned I was in high school and I thought I wanted to do something creative, I thought I wanted to go into music originally, and. Um, I had this idea that I would go to school and um, just do sound engineering or recording. I was really interested in that. Um, And uh, I was in bands. I played guitar. But I didn't read music very well. And um, I was taking music lessons, music theory lessons, um, outside of high school, just privately. And I auditioned for classical guitar, and I got into music school, and the first week of school, I'm like, I do not want to do this. Um, this isn't really what I want to do. I, I love music, but I don't fit. I knew I didn't fit here. Um, so I switched my major to art, and I didn't know what I wanted to do with art. Um, I thought about art and technology, art with computers, drawing on computers, animation. Um, 
and I thought about art education, teaching in an elementary school or high school. So the way our program was structured um, in college, I uh, had to take the foundations courses, which isn't unique. That's you know pretty standard for all NASAD accredited schools. So I took foundations drawing, design, 3D design. And then um, after that, I had a portfolio review to get out of the foundations classes and into the intermediate level classes and then where I can declare an emphasis area. And I think when I was in my foundations level classes, I wasn't really excited about art making necessarily because it was drawing still lives. It was um, just really trying to render the way light falls on objects, um, training your eyes to see shape and color and form, texture. And while that was great, and I appreciate it now, I think then just because I didn't know what I wanted to do with art, um, I felt like I was just all over the place, not really taking it in and completely being invested in it. Um, So after the foundation portfolio review, I remember the foundation's coordinator, I was talking to her, and she told me I would never be a painter, I would never be a drawer, but I should try graphic design and photography. Um, So I I took that um, information, and I, the next semester, took intro to graphic design and intro to black and white photography. Immediately hated graphic design. Just I knew that was not my area, um, being behind a computer and working with text and putting together, you know, what graphic designers do just wasn't for me. But I fell in love instantly with photography, um, being behind the camera, um, looking through the viewfinder, working in the dark room. It was magical. It was amazing. And it, it instantly clicked. And that's when I felt like I was doing what I was meant to do. And I was actually becoming an artist. And again, it was just one of those um, moments like my parents letting me be an art major when um, it was Chris told me I would never be a drawer or painter and I should try photography. I felt like I felt like that was it. You know, she knew something I didn't know <laughs> and mm-hmm. it kind of um, woke something up in me. So, yeah, it was just kind of... Um, chance. If if she didn't tell me that, I probably wouldn't have really considered photography. I probably would have done something else. I don't know what it would have been. She's a good teacher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um so the so I want to talk about um of your process and, you know, and what inspires your your work specifically, but I want to ask about um, your favorite photographer mm-hmm. and um, who, you know, I, I always um, stop asking questions like that. You know, who's your favorite this? Who's mm-hmm. your favorite that? But um, I'm always curious about, you know, inspiration from that perspective. Sure. So who is your favorite photographer? Right now? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, that that is a difficult um, question because I feel like it changes all the time. But um, you know, Todd Heido um, was and still is one of my favorite photographers. Gregory Crudson, um, and they're both working with ideas of um, the suburban landscape and staging tableaus and um, just responding to kind of the American psychological realm of, um, you know, the suburbs, which is really um, an interesting 
area for me because that's that's what I'm I feel like I'm trying to do um, linking things back to domest- domesticity and the home um, and having these open ended narratives that are influenced by cinema and influenced by Edward Hopper his paintings and Raymond Carver's um, short stories so I find um, those types of influences Steven Spielberg's films. Um, you know, th- those are their influences, which become my influences. So it's not just that photography is um, all that I'm looking at or all that um, I'm referencing or maybe um, my favorite art to look at. Um, but specifically, I would say Todd Heido and, and Gregory Crutzen. And I was lucky enough, actually, to um, invite Todd Heido to campus um, back in 2012 when we hosted the Society for Photographic Education conference. Um, So he came in as the keynote speaker. So that was kind of my, um, one of the highlights of my career um, so far was I was able to meet my favorite photographer. He had a show on campus and this public talk. And so, um, yeah, I would say those two. Yes, it, you know, I, I'm, I, I love photography and I love photographers. Um, they, are, um, they are true storytellers in my, um, as far as I'm concerned. Um, one that brings, brings to mind is, um, or comes to mind, I should say, is, um, is William Eggleston mm-hmm. and how, you know, he really show, showed the changing South, right? Right. And, um, and and so, what do you think about you, you know you are, were um, raised in the north, and, and then you come mm-hmm. down this way. What do you think about the landscape of this of the South, and and how is it different from your your childhood? Sure, um, it, it's beautiful first of all, um, and, and it is different than um, what I'm used to. Uh, the openness, the space. Um, there's just something about it that I think uh, I, I didn't experience living in the north, um, especially living in in Youngstown and Struthers, and um, not that those are big cities at all. Um, you know, Youngstown's a small city, but it's more densely populated. There's um, there's more people. There's I guess more businesses, more suburbs, um, more retail. Um, so I, I felt like. I, I could never really be alone. Um, I felt that there, there was always um, something or, or someone around. Um, but moving to the South, specifically Mississippi, and having the space, um, the quiet, we don't have light pollution. Um, I love going outside my house at night and looking up at the stars. And um, the fog is amazing here, especially. Um, which, you know, you can see it's entered into my work. Um, the color is brilliant and vibrant. We're in Ohio, especially Youngstown. It's more desaturated. Um, Ohio is one of the most overcast states in the country. I think that was something that I had to reconcile with living in the South. Um, I'd grown accustomed to that kind of diffused light and that softness of light and no harsh shadows and overcast skies. And that's something that I still look for in in my photography and try to put in whenever I can. Um, I I think one of the things that um, 
I think anyone from the north experiences when they move to the south. South is the heat. Um, <laughs> when I, when I first moved here, my wife and I got out of our U-Haul. It was um, August first or second, oh twenty ten. It was midnight. We walked. We got out, and like this is hotter than midday in August in July in Ohio. It felt like we were someone put a wet blanket over us, and we were kind of smothered with like, this heat and moisture. And um, I'm I'm used to it now. <laughs> <laughs> now I I can't go back up north in the winter time without wearing multiple layers. I I'm glad to be here. I, I you know I would take the heat any day over the snow. I I don't miss waking up at five in the m- morning to shovel my car out of the driveway. Um, so so I think just the openness, um, the heat, the fog, um, those types of things, um, the brilliant colors. Um, they're diff- it's different um as well as just uh you know some the birds are amazing in in um mississippi i felt like we had generic birds in the north robins and cardinals and stuff but i i get the most beautiful birds that come into to our yard and we love putting out the bird feeder and my daughter feeds the birds and so there are all these things these little subtle things that i didn't think um would really make a difference to me um but they make me happy, and I find that um, I really love being here. And I always thought that you know I would miss Ohio um, after I moved from there, just because that's what I knew. Yet, at the same time, I knew a goal for myself was if I have to leave here. You know, I I do not want to live in Ohio the rest of my life. Um, though I never thought about living in the South. I never thought about living in Mississippi. I was just kind of open to wherever um, life would take me. Um, and, yeah, so I forget what the original question was. <laughs> but That's yeah. a wonderful answer. Okay. Wonderful answer. Welcome back to the Arts Hour. I'm Turi Fluker. And in the studio with me today is Dominic Lapillo. And Dominic is Associate Professor of Art at Mississippi State University and is the recipient of State Fellowship from our regional partner, South Arts, which is based in Atlanta. And um, again, we're so proud of um, Dominic representing Mississippi. Thank you, and thanks for having me today. So we were talking about uh, inspiration, and um, we were talking about um this really beautiful landscape here in the South, and and you you're able to experience it, experience it, and um, and so what I want to know now is what is your what is your process in art making? Um, how do you begin uh, thinking about what you're going to photograph? Mm-hmm. Um, so. If I can back up from my current project and talk about a couple of the projects that I was doing before this, um, around 2008, I started working on this project called um, Under a Calm Surface. And for that project, I was photographing in my home um, exclusively. Um, I was taking, um, going into these rooms and rearranging the furniture and making these cinematic scenes um, void of people. And I was doing that because uh, I was interested in trying to recreate recreate some of the stories that you know I thought about when I was um, growing up, um, living in these different houses. Um, so um, one thing that I noticed, um, my wife and I have lived in five different houses now, and I felt like we were 
kind of repeating this pattern that I had when I was growing up of moving around. So um, that I had to address. So I started making work about home. Um, after that project uh, came to a close, I started working collaboratively um, with um, another artist, photographer, Mark Schoon. We met in grad school in 2006. And after we graduated in 2009, we had this idea of collaborating, um, making uh, photographs about place. Um, Mark photographed with an eye of a documentarian, and I was photographing like a staged photographer, kind of like a cinematographer or a director. And um, we had this idea. We were making these larger photographs individually. I would make 20 by 30 inch photographs. Mark would make these 24 by 30 inch photographs. And we knew that we had the shared interest in the domestic and domesticity and um, space and place and home and experience of the home. So um, after we graduated, Mark was living in Queens, New York, and I was living in Youngstown, Ohio. Um, we came up with this idea where we would photograph in our homes and make these small little four-by-four-inch images. We were shooting um, 120 film. And um, so the process would start where maybe Mark would photograph in his house and then scan an image in and email it to me. And then I would look at the photograph and then I would respond to it in some way. So it had this um, back-and-forth kind of dialogue. Talked about just this generic quality that you would find in your houses. Mark's living in the most diverse place in the country, and then I'm living in a farmhouse on a 40-acre you know, piece of land where I was essentially a caretaker of um, this, this property with my wife. And um, we just noticed that we have the same generic wall colors, um, you know, that kind of beige color in a rental house, and we have the same brand of soft soap or toothpaste. And even though we're spread out over a thousand miles, um, we still had these experiences that were similar. So we worked on that project for a few years. That came to a close. And then we started this new project called Conflation. Um, again, it was this call and response thing where we were photographing in our own home. So maybe I would make an image, send it to Mark, and then Mark would make a um, companion image that would create this whole space. So we were creating these spaces that were only believable in photographs. Um, there was a seam that divided the two images right down the middle. Half of the image was mine, half was his. And it created this whole new space, this whole new room. Um, and that was really exciting. Um, so I, it was really about home and space for a long time for me, from about 2008 until about 2014, 2015. Um, while I was working collaboratively with Mark, I was also working on solo projects. Um, working with home and space was always an interest of mine, um, so I was happy to do that with someone else. But then I started getting interested in vernacular photographs and found images and family snapshots. Um, my wife and I would buy images from antique stores. I would buy images from eBay. Um, and I was really interested in working with them um, a lot of the images I was making with Mark or on my own about the home, it was always void of people. It was details that would talk about the experience of living in the home, of creating these stories that could happen within the home. But now, working with the found images, I wanted to work with representations of people. So I was looking for um, images of people that um, were interesting to me, that could become characters who could kind of play into these um, scenes that I was creating. So... The first project that I took on, I would 
cut these people out of the photographs and scan the photograph, scan them into Photoshop and then project them onto the screen of fog and then photograph the fog. So it was kind of like I was reducing them to just color and light and the energy that might be in the home. And it was a real unpredictable process. And um, I wasn't really getting these results that I found were consistent. It was fun to do, um, but it led to another project um, that I titled um, As the Fog Clears. I started taking the people, um, scanning the the photographs of, the, of these people that I would find, and then I would print them out in black and white on a digital inkjet printer, cut them out with an X-Acto knife, and then I put them into this box that I created where I um, could shoot a light inside of it, and then I cut another hole in it for the fog machine. So I fogged them into this void landscape, essentially. And it was like these people were walking out of this landscape. So the landscape kind of served as a mental space, um, a generic space, an empty space. Um, and that kind of led me to think about the people in terms of characters or character studies. Um, I wasn't looking for a specific kind of identity, but maybe general general kind of generic people, um, you know, a guy drinking a bottle of whiskey or um, a little girl um, in a dress standing in front of a rose bush or something, um, kind of just characters or tropes or these things that we might see on television or in movies or in our own family albums. Um, that's what led to the current project that I'm working on, stories um, we tell ourselves. Um, I started looking for landscapes to put the people into, and I was interested in um, this generic sense of space. You know, I, I mentioned earlier how I felt like there's a lot of empty space in Mississippi. Um, but that empty space that's void of people um, has a lot of potent details that can create these kinds of narratives that I was interested in. At the same time, I was really missing the, f the um, subtle light and the diffused light that I got in um, Youngstown when I was photographing landscapes. So I was trying to look for these um, open-ended kinds of areas that felt like they weren't specific to the South or specific to the North, but maybe just general, um, ambiguous. So I was photographing with an eye for ambiguity. Um, I wasn't looking for anything that necessarily screamed, um, you know, a certain experience that I had. But I was looking for what Roland Barthes refers to as the punctum in a photograph. Um, the punctum is something that wounds you, pricks you emotionally and illogically. You don't know why, but you're drawn to it. And then once you're drawn to it, you're removed from the photograph and you go into another photograph where you time travel back into your own mind and you can think of a memory or a time or an experience. So as photographing landscapes, in an ambiguous way, but I was looking for those things that maybe I was drawn to, the subtle details, the little things that maybe would go unnoticed. Um, nothing that was overtly screaming um, out to me, but something subtle and empty. Um, empty in terms of no people. Like, I did not want to photograph people. I did not want to photograph signs of people. I wanted to just photograph these empty kinds of spaces. So I was looking for that, um, looking for subtle color. I would photograph a lot in the um, wintertime, um, a lot in the fall as well, because the light changed. It reminded me a little bit more of Ohio and Youngstown then.
Um, but I was also interested in some of the things that were specific to the South, like when the um, seasons change and you get the warm air and the cold air that collide and you get this amazing fog that stops our vision. And then it's just this way of kind of clearing the space and erasing the space. I felt like that had a similar effect as what snow has when you're in the north. Um, one of the things I miss dearly about living in Ohio is walking out of my house at like 12 a.m., 3 a.m., and just listening to the snow accumulate, just that sound of emptiness. It's so subtle. And when no one's awake, no one's around, um, the possibilities are open. So then I would take these landscapes and um, I was still working with the vernacular images, so I'm looking for people. But I would take the people out of the photographs. So I'm scanning these 35-millimeter slides that I get off of eBay or buy in antique stores. I actually had one student who knew I was interested in vernacular images, so she gave me two boxes of 35-millimeter slides that she wasn't using. Um, and I'm very grateful for, <laughs> for that. Um, so I'm looking for those through those images, and I'm looking for the same thing. I'm looking for a punctum. Um, there, there can be any, you know, multiple sets of images where a person might fit into one of these landscapes. But I'm not just looking for a fit. I'm looking for something that I'm illogically drawn to, something that wounds me or pricks me, something that um, is going to make me wonder. Um, and when I find that person, I take them out um, digitally, and then I insert them into the landscape. Um, to create this tableau of possibilities. And I want it to be open-ended, and I want it to kind of border bewilderment and hope um, and melancholy at the same time. So it's kind of drawing from the depression of Youngstown and the Rust Belt and steel mills closing, but then the brightness and the hope and the light of Mississippi and the, just the beauty of nature that surrounds me here. So I'm kind of trapped between these two worlds and these two things that are influencing me, my current state and then my past. Yeah, I mean, you know, as you were explaining this, this is so exciting. It's um, it it sounds it's just intriguing, you know, um, what you are thinking about and your process and create creativity. Um, but one thing that I and we're going to wrap up. But one thing that I want to um, ask you is, how can we go about nurturing a state of art lovers? It's a really great question. Um, I think that we can nurture a state of art lovers by just exposing people to art. I feel like a lot of art just lives inside of galleries or museums, but when we get art into the public realm, outdoor sculpture, um, movie nights, uh, um, there's this show that goes on across the country in major cities um, called The Fence, where there's just photographs displayed on fence, on a fence and on vinyl. Anything that we can do to, I guess, expose people from an early age and kind of let them see that art is exciting. And even if they're not going to make art, but just want to actively seek it out so they could go to museums or galleries, I think we just have to get it in front of them. So maybe putting it in the public sphere is the best way to do it. Yes. Thank you so much, and congratulations, Dominic. Thank you for having me.